All right, awesome. Well, guys, uh, we're in 1 Timothy. We're continuing on in 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting the next chapter. Chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 6. And uh, the title is Preaching the Word. Preaching the Word. Like when I, when I take vitamins and drink juice that may or may not be good, usually it's not good, it makes me feel better. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, I don't know if you relate to that, but it's just a fact for me. The very thing that I would not choose first to drink, vegetable juice, is the very thing that if I drink it, I have energy and I feel way better. After all this time and all this technology, we now are starting to have companies, they're barely learning how to make healthy food taste good. Do you know what I mean? Like, can someone please invent a healthy Reese's peanut butter cups or Snickers bar? Like, if you could do that, you'd make millions. I mean, please. We're not there yet. We're slowly getting there. But when I drink vegetable juice, like, I get some exercise, which are two things my body resists at all costs. The results are good. Like, I feel better. I have more energy. I'm ready for the day. And I just say this because we don't really innately, we don't often innately hunger and thirst for the word of God in prayer. You know, usually I, I never, never hear anyone, maybe, now maybe I'm wrong, maybe there's some exceptions. You wake up, you go, I'm so saved today. I just want to read the word all day long. I'm going to quit my job and just read the word and pray all day, you know. We don't innately do that. We have many things to fight against in this world just to sometimes consider opening the Bible. The other day I was reading a book and my wife uh, looked at me and she asked, do you ever read the Bible? Because <laughs> I was reading a book. I, I like reading books. And she wasn't trying to be mean. She was sincerely, I, I just read a lot of other books at home. Now, she didn't know I have a lot of times at work. I take breaks, and I get there, and I get in my Word, and I write in my journal, and all that stuff. But in the morning, I often pick up an, an extra biblical book just to read, you know? And, uh, but one of the main things that we, we want to make sure of to stay in the faith is that we're walking strongly with God is that we're in the Word of God. Like, remember that saying that goes, an apple a day keeps a doctor away? You probably heard it when you were a kid or whatever. It's like, now I actually studied that saying, which was kind of a rapid trail, but I found statistical analysis that said an apple a day, it's proven, does not keep the general physician away, but daily apple eaters, they were less likely to need prescription medication. So, I mean, I found, I found something out about it. But at any rate, the point is, spiritually, as we dig into God's word regularly, we're going to stay grounded, established, and built up in the faith. As we stay in God's word, we're going to be able to spot lies and false information because we're so in the truth on a regular basis. Like we touched on this the last chapter, it remains true. God's word keeps our spiritual lives grounded. You've heard it said, one, one pastor said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And what we know and how we live are connected. What we know and how we live are connected. So we must be in God's word regularly, not books about God's word, not commentaries about God's word, not theories about God's word, but God's word. This is what spiritually grows us. This is what grounds us. God's word keeps us grounded. Would you rather stand in a museum for two hours and look at a painting of New Zealand, or would you rather be in New Zealand exploring the countryside? I mean, now, now the homebodies are like, I'll just watch a documentary on A&E. But I mean, but I'm just saying that like, you'd rather be in, most people would rather actually be in New Zealand instead of standing in a museum going, oh, I would love to be there, right? We want the genuine. And so, but really, why, why explore extra biblical sources instead of going to the source? Doesn't make sense. No extra biblical book is going to make your spiritual life flourish more than the word of God. 
Now, extra biblical books can help. They can supplement the pure word of God, the truth, the word that's settled in heaven, like Psalms say, right? But what we should really want and desire and have a passion for is God's perspective on life and Christian living, not man's opinion. And we get this by God's word. And so in this section of 1 Timothy, Paul really emphasizes the character and the work of the minister. And he really lists three qualities that the minister must have to be successful in serving God. Three actions that lead to a good minister who can be effective for eternal things. So the three that we're going to look at the next three weeks, and today we're going to look at this, a good minister preaches the word. And that's found in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 6. A good minister preaches the word. Number two, a good minister practices the word. And that's in verse 7 to 12. And the third one is a good minister progresses in the word. And that's verses 13 to 16. Now in the context, Timothy or Paul is writing to Timothy, a minister, a pastor, but in a real sense, because minister means servant, it's translated servant, we're all servants of the Lord. We're all called to minister in some way. So this really is applicable to all believers. So Paul had warned the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 that the false teachers would actually invade the church. They would twist the truth. And this is what false teachers do. They, you know, they don't have good hermeneutics or exegesis, which are just fancy theological words that mean they did not rightly divide or interpret the word of God. So this was a warning from Paul to the church. And now the reality of false teachers leading believers astray was actually coming to pass. And so the prophecy was spoken by Paul, and now in Paul's time, it was actually being fulfilled. And so this paragraph of verses that we're studying today, it really will help us uh, as believers to recognize false teachers. Like, well, why would we want to recognize false teachers? So that we would not be swayed or convinced by their lies. Because many false teachers sound really good. They're really good speakers, really good writers. You could read their books all day, but they're not true. False teachers were like salesmen of the month, you know, because they acted like they knew what was true and what was not, and they spread lies, and they didn't care. Problem is, these false teachers, they would often have a kernel of truth in their thesis, and the rest was assumption, conjecture, and untruths. So those who are not grounded in the word of God will believe much of what they hear because they don't have the word of God to measure everything by. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like getting your news from Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. Most of what's on there, and you guys know this, most of what's on there is not news, right? It's all filtered by opinion. Now, I don't want subjective opinion. I don't care if I want the news. I don't want subjective. I want objective facts for the news. I remember when I was a kid. I sound old, right? But when I was a kid, um, there was actually, there was news on this. I was like, wow, they're just stating the facts. I don't really see that anymore. But there's a sentence that should really hit home that I, I love that always goes through my mind. It's this. It's a quote. Visit many books, but live in the Bible. Visit many books, but live in the Bible. This was a statement from Charles Spurgeon, who was called the Prince of, amazing preacher, Prince of Preachers. There are many books out there. I love reading. I'm always into at least a few books at a time. Like right now, I'm reading this autobiography of a strong believer. He used to be a world champion boxer, which he's actually going to be here in March to guest speak. But I'm reading a book about harmful effects of the transgender craze. I'm reading a book about missionaries from times past. I just finished an e, all the E.M. Bounds books on prayer. I, I'm, if you ever want to read a really good theological book, J.I. Packer, uh, Knowing God, um, and of course, audiobooks. I love reading. 
I love reading. And please don't give me any books. I have like 50 of them in my side table, and they're in order of when I want to read them. If, but if you give me a book, I will read it 2022. I guarantee that. But what can, what can happen is when people read more extra-biblical books and leave the Bible out or only pick it up on Sundays, that person's not going to grow spiritually. And interest in God's word will wane and waver. And this is what the enemy wants, you know. He's happy with this. Yeah, I go to church. You know, talk about God and stuff. But don't you dare open that Bible on a regular basis. The enemy trembles when we seek God through his word because we're digging into the decrees that save souls and grow hearts. And it's sad when, when someone, like, reapplies truth with opinions. And it's almost as if opinions become true and true becomes, truth becomes optional. That's not good. When people are struggling or confused or complacent, I'll ask them one question in counseling, one question, one main thing. Are you digging into the Bible on a regular basis? Or I'll ask them, are you feeding off of the truths that are laid out in God's word for you? Like, are you in it? And if not, then that's where spiritual complacency starts to emanate. And I know right away if they say no, then I have the answer to why they're struggling so bad with sin and discouragement. So the way to kill complacency is to continually delve into God's Word. Not a commentary on God's Word, not books talking about specific subjects about the Word of God, but go to the source. And I love those other books. I read all those all the time. I, they're my favorite kind of books. But I don't replace them. I don't want to ever replace them from the source, the Word of God. So stay in the source, or else dryness will result. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you for this time we're able to gather together in your name and study your word this morning. Pray that you would speak to us, encourage us, and lift us up. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so verse 1 to 6, 1 Timothy chapter 4, says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer, Verse 6, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. So the first thing we see in verse 1, the first part of verse 1, false teachers are demonically influenced. That's the first thing. False teachers are demonically influenced. This is actually the only place in any of Paul's pastoral letters that demons are mentioned. There's a mystery of iniquity that really surrounds Satan and his works. The enemy continually attempts to deceive God's children and lead them astray by his own doctrines and ministries. And it's a bit strange to think about the fact that Satan actually has ministries and his own doctrines, but he does. Like, he has ministries that have nothing to do with building up. You know, his ministries are in place to break down. And Satan is pleased when destruction happens. But when instruction in God's word happens, he trembles. He's gone. Right now, we are into the Word of God together, and we're being built up in the faith and into the truth. And, and, and you know, I don't think you're here for the free Keurig or whatever. Like, we're, we're essentially irritating the enemy right now, and we're fine with that because we're not going to give him a foothold. One pastor friend of mine wrote a book, and, um, and in his book, uh, he wrote, as we continually seek God together, you're basically drop-kicking the devil. 
I don't know, it's kind of violent. I kind of like that, though. You kind of drop kicking the devil. He's out of here, you know? The enemy is not about construction. He's about destruction. The, the very first test of any doctrine to see if it's authentic is what does it say about Jesus? How one views Jesus will give insight into whether they are uh, authentic or fake. And this may be shocking, but the reality is that Satan often, often uses professing Christians within the church, universal, meaning church all around the world, and local to accomplish his work. Remember in Matthew 16, Satan actually used Peter to try and lead Jesus on the wrong path, and he used Ananias and Sapphira to try and deceive the church in Jerusalem. In Acts 20.30, Paul warned that false teachers would arise from within the church. And this is why words matter. And if the Lord puts a check on your heart because, you know, you heard something weird, it must be taken seriously. The last thing, you know, I want is for false doctrine to be in our little church body, right? And so we've got to beware and be aware. The second thing is false teachers lead people astray. The second part of verse 1. So the, the whole goal and objective of false teachers is to seduce people with lies. They want, to, they want believers to depart from the faith and the word, and this is apostasy. Apostasy means willfully turning away from the faith. False teachers want believers to buy into half-truths and follow their theories and supposed deeper truths. And they're not deeper truths, they're untruths. A, tr a true church seeks to win converts and build up people in the faith spiritually. A cult converts others and makes them serve their agendas. And it's so sad. In the latter days, which I believe we're in, we must not believe everything we hear, but test everything against the word of God like the Bereans did in Acts 17. If it doesn't line up with scripture, I'm not even going to entertain it, right? Like, I'm, not, I'm just going to throw it away. I'm going to feel good about throwing it away. I'm not even going to receive any of that. <laughs> Has anyone had to declutter lately? Like we're Americans, right? We people de we okay. We declutter, right? I mean, that's what we do. Decluttering can be hard, especially if you're a person that assigns value to everything. Like this is all valuable, but that's trash. But I love it. Like it's you know, it's like my girls have some stuff. Like my wife was decluttering a couple weeks ago. And uh, there was one picture, which I never told her this, but there was one picture, there was just a bunch of scribbles, but it was like a face, you know? And she's like, why would we keep this when you throw this away? You know, there's other ones that are better. I'm like, but she drew that, and it was like two years ago. And so I secretly kept it, confession time. But, um, but when you actually get rid of unneeded and unwanted stuff and give it away to Goodwill or whatever, it, it feels good. And your house is a bit cleaner because you're, you've decluttered. Well, the same is true with the lies that are out there. Like, we want our house, our heart, to be decluttered of lies and trash that is spoken that is unbiblical. And when we reject the lies and simply stay in the truth, it feels good. We know we're doing the right thing. We're following the truth. Our home or our hearts will be clean and our conscience will be unspotted and unstained when it comes to lies and untruths. And maybe there are some things we need to declutter in our hearts and release to the Lord because, let's face it, just because something seems like a good thing does not mean it's a God thing. Like a good thing doesn't mean it's God's will. We can do a bunch of stuff that's really good that everyone will be like, good job. But it doesn't mean it's God's will. We've got to be led by him. But declutter, we need to declutter the lies so as to walk in the truth. The third thing is the false teachers were hypocrites. I mean, Paul just says it right here, right? When Jesus, he didn't rebuke that many people in his ministry, 
but he rebuked the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes uh, a lot. And he would, he would just, he called them hypocrites. He, he called them out. So these false teachers, they preach one thing and then they practice another. They tell others what to do. Hey, do this. But they're not going to go home and do it themselves. A true servant of God is honest and has integrity. They practice what they preach. And this person is not perfect, but they are sincerely seeking God for growth. They, and the word seared here in the verse, the word seared means to carterize. And the picture here is of a person's flesh becoming branded so that it results in no feeling. Their conscience is deadened. And that's the thing. Our conscience is deadened more and more if we say one thing and do another. Sin can become normalized if we continue to compromise. So what life is about is doing God's will and following him every day. And the thing with apostates is that they are wrong doctrinally and they are wrong morally. They could be in all kinds of sin and yet tell the followers to engage in those horrible sins, you know, to not engage in the horrible sins, but they're doing the same thing themselves. So false teachers, they're demonically influenced. They lead people astray. They're hypocrites. And number four, verse three to five, number four, false teachers deny God's word. The false teachers in Ephesus that Paul was writing about were actually combining Jewish legalism with Eastern religion. And Paul deals with the same people in his letter to the Colossians. One of their false ideas was that those who were not married were more spiritual than those who were married. And of course, from Genesis, Matthew, and Corinthians, we know that marriage is a good thing. Two are better than one. And when two believers unite, they can be doubly used for God's kingdom. The devil doesn't like two strong believers getting together because they're bent on furthering God's kingdom and storming the gates of heaven. They're furthering, they want to further the kingdom of God. They want to do things for the Lord. It's a good thing when God brings two believers together. And I would say be, be careful of many religious teachings that mess with God's ordained order in marriage. And beware of any teaching that messes with God's creation. So the false teachers who were infecting the Ephesian church, they taught that certain foods were taboo, and if you ate them, you were not spiritual. The fact that God called his creation good didn't interest these teachers. They didn't care. Their authority to dictate diets gave them power over converts. It was all about power. And those who are walking in the truth are not impressed with the do's and the don'ts of legalists. Oh, you don't do that? Well, I look up to you. Like, we're not impressed. We just want to follow the Lord. Matthew 7, 14 to 23, Jesus clearly states that all foods are clean. He taught this lesson again in Peter in Acts 10, to Peter in Acts 10 uh, and reaffirmed it through 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 10, 23 to 33. Sure, a person may not be able to eat certain foods because of physical reasons, allergies, and stuff like that, but no food is to be rejected for spiritual reasons. But we also should not use our freedom and liberty to eat and drink to destroy weaker Christians, as Romans 14 talks about. So if believers think they are more spiritual because they eat certain foods or don't eat certain food, it's not our job to bring them down. We all have different convictions, and that's a good thing. And I, I said this before, but don't compare convictions. Comparing is of the flesh, Paul says. Oh, you're convicted of that? You're way more spiritual than me, but I'm convicted of this, so I'm more spiritual than you. Like, we don't want to compare, compare convictions. Never, never lose your individual convictions because God speaks to each of his kids. He speaks to you differently than he speaks to me. So I can't say, here's what God, here's what God says to me personally, so it applies to all of you in your own personal lives. Like, I, I can't do that. God speaks to us individually because our faith, in a real sense, it's not corporate. It's personal. It's one-on-one -on -one with the Lord. 
God puts a check on our heart because he says, don't do that. I know what you've been into in your past. You can't dabble with that. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can do that. He gives each person, you know, directives in our lives, in our personal conviction. It's a good thing. It doesn't mean you're more spiritual than me. I'm more spiritual than you. No, I'm not more spiritual than you because we don't watch rated R movies. You're not more spiritual than me because you maybe don't do something or do, do something else that I don't do. Like, we all have this one-on-one relationship with Jesus, and that is the most amazing thing. I love walking with Jesus and spending time with him. There's nothing like it in the world. The food that we eat is sanctified or set apart, devoted to God, when we pray and give thanks. So the word of God and prayer turn every ordinary meal into a spiritual service for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. But the emphasis on the minister, on the people ministering, should be on the word of God and prayer. One can get so caught up and busy and everything else, like that prayer and the word becomes secondary. And you kind of might not even know it, like drifting out into the ocean, not knowing you're a mile away from your stuff on the beach, going, where am I? (laughs) Someone stole my stuff. No, you just drifted. You weren't paying attention. But it ought not to be, you know, for the minister, for any believer, for that matter. Word and God and prayer come first, right? It's about the word of God and prayer. Paul was reminding Timothy of his great responsibility to study, teach, and preach the scriptures and to spend time in prayer. So in light of the apostasy, in the context, Paul gives two exhortations in verse 6. Number one is, teach the church the truth. Teach the church the truth. Yes, we must beware and make people aware of apostasy, but we must also not major in the minors. Like we must not spend all our time on non-essentials, but instead live for the essentials, which is the gospel, which is the word of God. A minister must not spend all of his time focusing on religious apostasy, I'm not going to preach about apostasy every single time I get up here. I'm not going to preach about cults every time I get up here and leave the word of God out and be like, well, I just read this really good book and I just want to tell you about it. No, I'm going to preach the whole counsel of God because that's what Acts 20, 27 instructs us, right? Positive doctrine, false doctrine are equally important to teach so that we know what to accept and what to live out so that we know what to reject and say no to. Counterfeit can be spotted quickly as long as we study the genuine counterfeit can be spotted quickly as long as we study the genuine. We don't study the counterfeit all day long. We study the genuine so that when counterfeit shows up, we can say, nope, not going to accept that. I reject it. Done. So a minister must teach the church the truth, and they must nourish themselves. The second one, they must nourish themselves in the word of God. Nourish yourself in the word of God. Every believer must be nourished daily in the word of God. This should be a no-brainer, but many believers struggle and don't experience spiritual growth because they don't know the simple truths. And then let me just give you, let me just uh, sort of end with a few different verses. Like Jeremiah 15, 16. I love Jeremiah's heart here. Jeremiah 15, 16. He says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I say, be so in love with God's word that you yearn to read it. Church is about learning from the word of God so you can spiritually be saved and grow, not to be entertained, not to have your ears tickled like what happens in the last days when people just want to tell you what, you know, they think you want to hear. But it's about digging into the scriptures and letting the scriptures dig into your own heart. Matthew 4.4, Jesus says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So depend on the, Lord, uh, depend on the word to fight temptation. 
right? Jesus used God's word as a weapon. It's the only weapon that can fight against temptation, the Holy Spirit and the word of God. And live a sanctified life. We do that by feeding off of the word of God regularly. 1 Peter 2.2 2 says, As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, but it is especially important that the minister grow in the word of God. So if, simply put, you guys, God's word equals spiritual growth. We're all growing in God's word until the day we go to be with the Lord. And the only thing we get to take with the Lord, to, to the Lord is the word, because that's what we know. There's never a point where we cease to grow unless we cease to meditate, read, and ponder God's word. And so, but the point here is that the good minister will preach the word that he himself feeds off of daily. Preaching the word isn't enough, though. We're going to see next week. Preaching the word isn't enough. I can say, I can just read the whole Bible to you today. You're going to stay here for the next week. I'm just going to read it, right? But I can go out and just not practice any of it and just say, whatever. I told them to do that. I'm going to do what I want. It's not enough to just preach the word. It must be preached and then practiced, you know, taken in and then lived out, heard and heeded, read and obeyed. And this is not just for the, the minister, the pastor. It's for every single believer. In the context, 1 Timothy is, it is about, you know, the pastor. But as followers of Jesus, we must feed off of the word of God if we're to feed others. We can't feed others if we don't have any food. You know, after all, we are beggars showing other beggars where the bread is. Here it is. This is the meat, the bread, the milk, the honey, all the things the word of God is compared to because this is what nourishes us. The word of God is compared to bread, to meat, to milk, and to honey. Stay in the truth so that you can spot lies and reject them and say, I'm not going I'm to believe that. I'm going to throw that away. I'm going to feel good about it because that's not the truth. So you can stay in the truth and flourish in the faith if you stay in the truth. Just stay in God's word. You know, and oftentimes it sounds like a broken record because this is what we talk about almost every week <laughs> because we're reading the word of God. Right. But this is what leads to spiritual growth. We need to be reminded we're gathered together because of koinonia, because of fellowship, because we're connected as the body of Christ. But we're, we also have to be reminded what life is about. So often you're going to go out of those doors and forget what life's about. You're going to go on social media and forget what life's about. and You become depressed. And it's crazy to think about statistics these days, even of uh, teenagers and kids. The, the rate of depression and, and suicide is so overwhelming. It's horrible. And it's because people are not in the truth. They get swayed by these lies that are out there. So we we don't study the lies. We study the truth so that we can spot the lies and say, no, don't buy into that. It's not true. This is true. And this is what we're going to live by. And this is how we're going to live. Amen?